did this ourselves. They're coming. It can't be. Where is everyone? Hey there, survivors. Makeshift here. You're listening to the Apocalypse Postcast, a podcast. Um, I misscheduled Reverend Lawless, who is the guest of today's show. Um, it's not bad. It's only about an hour difference. So I'm just going to sit here and vamp for a little while. Not an hour. I, I Sometimes I wait to do the intro until after I've done the uh, interview. But today, I'm going to do it ahead of time. Just for fun. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so um, let's get to it. Wasteland Weekend was the first major apocalypse, post-apocalypse festival in the United States. And if it wasn't the first one, it was the one that mattered. That was the one that created not just um, a, a festival, but it created a world of festivals. Since Wasteland Weekend started doing its thing, there have been festivals popping up across the United States and around the world. Now, how much it's influencing all of them, I can't really say. I know that uh, Junktown or Old Town over in Europe, they attribute them wanting to do it because they saw pictures of Wasteland Weekend online. Um, and I would, I would dare say that all of the smaller festivals in the United States would all tribute to Wasteland Weekend for inspiring it because Wasteland was once a year. It's on the west coast of the United States. Not everybody can reach it, especially if you work, you know, because it started as a weekend where it was show up on Friday. Uh, a lot of people showed up at the evening time, party on Saturday, leave on Sunday. So it was literally like a weekend where you could just show up, camp and go home and, and you didn't really lose any time. What it's grown into is so much more. There's still definitely people that show up on Friday and leave on Sunday, especially if they don't have the vacation time. But for the larger tribes and for a lot of wastelanders, the setup time has grown because the builds are bigger. There's so much more going on. And so even though the event goes from Wednesday to Sunday now, five days, a lot of people will show up earlier that week, Monday or Tuesday. Some will show up the weekend before Saturday, Sunday. Uh, and of course, the Wasteland Weekend build crew, they start off with a pretty skeleton crew. I want to say two weeks before the event. So anyway, what I'm trying to say is uh, the commitment's that much bigger. And if you don't have the time, if you if you can't get away from work, it's, it's great to have some of these smaller festivals across the country. And we're going to be talking to what is effectively the second biggest post-apocalypse festival in the United States, um, which is called Detonation. Uh, and it takes place at Uranium Springs. A lot of people get confused. They think that the event is called Uranium Springs, but no, the venue is called Uranium Springs. The event is called Detonation. They were actually calling it a different thing each year, uh, but that got way too confusing. So it just stayed Detonation forever. That's the festival. It usually takes place in the spring. And Reverend's going to tell you why this year it's going to take place in the fall around Halloween time, um, which is actually usually when they do a whole... no. They do what Charyu tree around Thanksgiving, which is kind of cool. It's a festival that takes place over Thanksgiving week and they do like a whole Thanksgiving meal. Kind of fun, but it's also a very chilly time of year to be holding a festival out in that part of the desert. It can get pretty darn cold at night. And that's one of the crazy things about the uh, desert. It gets very warm, but it also gets very cold. And when you combine that with wind and sand, the living conditions are just absolutely wild. So I think it's really cool that there are other festivals out there and they each offer something a little bit different. And of course, we've already talked to two festivals on this show. 
We've talked to Junkyard and we've talked to Atomic Falls, USA. I want to keep talking to all the different festivals. So if you've got a festival and you want to talk about it, reach out to me. I'm probably already planning on reaching out to you. I think it's a ton of fun. And I think that, you know, this show, this podcast and my YouTube, we talk about post-apocalypse stuff in general, kind of across the board, whether it's movies or video games. But I got to say, the backbone of this show is the festivals, because I feel like that's where that's where it all comes together. That's where, you know, Mad Max fandom and Fallout fandom and all these other inspirations, that's where they come together and you live it. You really get in there and everyone's in costume. So you feel immersed in this world that doesn't exist in the real world. Well, I guess it can in some cases. If if you've been to war, you probably have an idea of what the post-apocalypse looks like. Or if you've been... Uh, in Tornado Alley or survived a hurricane or some flooding. I mean, that's pretty darn close. So you may already you may already get the idea of what a post-apocalypse would look like. But when we're talking, you know, that Hollywood, that that Xbox, that really romanticized version of the apocalypse, whether it's Mad Max, Fallout, uh, Ender's Game... <laughs> <laughs> I guess that one's more dystopian. Or is it? I don't know. Ender's Game. But yeah, so those, they're more fun than real world apocalypses. Because in real world apocalypses, things go really bad. You know, you lose your house. You might lose family. Um, we've been living through this real world apocalypse for the last 18 months. It's it's apocalypse light. It's a diet apocalypse, if you would. Because, man... I feel like we lucked out, right? The Spanish flu back in the early 1900s, we didn't have the technology we have now. They still had vaccines, but it took a lot longer to do. And they just really didn't know what to do. I mean, even germ theory was still pretty new. We had just figured out that, you know, illnesses aren't caused by the fever. They used to say that fever was the illness. They thought the fever was the illness, and that's what caused all, all of your body to deteriorate. But now we know, of course, that the fever is a symptom. It is your body's way of fighting back against viruses or bacteria or funguses. So anyway, back in the Spanish flu days, we didn't have the technology. A lot of people died. It did not go well. And of course, we're dealing with a lot of the same echoes. We're dealing with echoes of what happened then, because a lot of people were like, no, I'm not going to wear these masks. And and when, when the numbers started to go down, they would celebrate. And of course, they were dealing with a whole, you know, I don't know, world war at the time. So it didn't really make the front page all that often. Um, but we, we really got to experience apocalypse light. And that's enough for me. What I like is going out to one of these locations, whether it's the desert or the woods, you know, just away from society and pretending the world ended and that we're the survivors and now it's time to party because we survived so why not what else is there to do we're not going to go work in a factory that's over you know we might go hunt a brahmin or or try to catch a rabbit or i guess a cat like it was in um <laughs> i always forget everything i'm really bad like I, I remember i remember things but i have a hard time remembering titles and like actors' names and that kind of thing. And for a filmmaker, it's, that's probably a bad thing. The Book of Eli is what I'm trying to say. He hunts the cat in the beginning and, of course, saves every bit because you have to be really resourceful. So he actually uses the cat oil, as he calls it, 
uh, as a lip balm, and he tries to trade with it. Nobody wants his cat oil. But, you know, if your lips are chapped and you're living in the desert, cat oil might be the way to go. And don't worry, it wasn't like a cute, fluffy cat. If you haven't seen the movie, uh, this is like a wild, dangerous cat. I don't, it doesn't, it, it's not, this is not fluffy. This is not the family pet. This is like alley cat meets dinosaur <laughs> or something like that. Anyway, you know, you're going to be eating all sorts of stuff. So I want, I, I love going out to Wasteland Weekend and getting to pretend. And part of that is we get to bring our own food. We get to bring a whole bunch of clean water. You know, the real apocalypse, the water is not going to be good. I don't care what apocalypse it is. And, and you know, people complain about uh, public water. Uh, you know, they make the jokes like, oh, this is LA's finest. And that's one waiter's way of making you feel ashamed that you didn't order bottled water for your dinner. Um, but let's be honest. Water today is the cleanest it has ever been. The water going to your home is regulated on so many levels. And what's crazy is today, when when there's something wrong with the water, that makes the news, right? That's the amazing thing, is that something's wrong. I remember in my hometown, this is Norton, Massachusetts, way back in the day. Shout out, Norton! Let's go, Lancers! We sucked in pretty much every sport. Uh, <laughs> I think the baseball team was okay. Um... We had well water. It was city well water. And every now and then, um, you know, they would say, don't drink the water. And it has, uh, what is it? The, the, the poop bacteria. I forget what it is. Not listeria. It was something. We, we weren't supposed to drink the water every now and then. And that was a big deal. And then they would fix it. Um, but that, that's the important thing is bad water makes the news. Today, I mean, you can pretty much drink the water anywhere. It might not taste great. You know, some places, the, the water coming from the ground has flavor because there's all sorts of different minerals everywhere. And if you live near a swamp, it's going to taste a little swampy. And if you live out in the desert, um, you, it might taste a little minerally because you're talking about aquifer. You're talking about rivers underground. I mean, especially if you're drinking well water, it's probably not treated. And I don't mean city well water because Norton had city well water. So they still had to treat it. That's their job. But if you have a well in your backyard, your water is untreated. Um, which, uh, you know, it, it could, it could lead to bad things. I think when you have well water, you're supposed to test it. Uh, here I am ranting about water, but the point is pretty much any apocalypse, the water is going to be scarce because now you won't have a government taking care of you and making sure the water's going. And even if you did have like, I don't know, water coming down the mountain, you have no way of testing it because you can't get tests and there's no company to send water samples to. The real apocalypse is going to suck. But at these festivals, we bring our own water, we bring our food, we bring propane that's packed in tanks for us. Guess what, guys? In the apocalypse, there's no more propane. Mad Max told us there's very little gasoline. And here's the thing. Mad Max, all of them, are very car-centric movies. Um, but... Just the process of refining oil is pretty complicated. Uh, it is going to be even rarer than it was in the movies because, yeah, they show Max like, like uh, you know, he, he pulls up to the, to the vehicle that rolls over and he's like collecting the gas in a pan. What's he get? Like maybe a cup, maybe, maybe a cup and a half of gasoline. Like how long is that going to last in his car? They burn so much gasoline in there and he never pulls up to a gas station. That's all I'm saying. Where the hell is the gas coming from? Oh, the real apocalypse is going to suck. 
Oh, and news this week, the internet went down. <laughs> like, oh uh, man, you know, we won't have internet. We won't have water. We won't have gasoline. GPS will probably fail because, I mean, the satellites, they'll go for a while, but without anybody kind of like fine tuning them, I don't know how long they're going to stay up there. Someone tell me. How long will satellites keep working? Because some of those satellites, you know, they're like solar powered. Maybe they've got batteries. They're sending signals down so that we can use GPS. Although, how do you charge your phone? I guess with a windmill. No matter what, it's going to suck. The apocalypse is going to suck. And that that doesn't even include the idea that, the kind of the idea of an apocalypse is that everybody dies. And like, most of the time, only a few people survive. Okay, so... You know, this is one of those situations where everyone, we all kind of want to like try the apocalypse to see how good we'd be at it. But most of us won't have the chance. Most of us are going to die in whatever event causes it. If there's floods, we're all dying near, near the water. And then it's going to be up to those on in the high ground to survive. So if you live near the water, which is most people in the world, you're dead. Nice try. Diseases, you know, only the healthiest people would survive like the really bad diseases. And I don't know. I I hope I'd survive, but I'm I'm getting I'm get, like coming out of that bracket. I'm coming out of that healthy bracket in my life. So, the younger people will survive in that case. And of course, zombies, no one's going to survive zombies. Let's get real because every time you kill the z- zombie, no. Every time a zombie kills someone, that makes another zombie, and so, you know, you you're fighting an uphill va- battle. Um there's a reason why most zombie movies have very few survivors because everybody dies. But I'm going back to it here at post-apocalypse festivals. Everybody gets to survive. You buy a ticket. You're a survivor. There you go. Boom. You just survived the apocalypse. Now we get to pretend everyone else that's not at the event is dead pretty much. And so however many people are at your event at wasteland, uh, 2019, it was about 5,000 people. And at some of the smaller events, it's anywhere from like, I don't know, 30 people to a few hundred. Those are the survivors. Those are the only people who made it through whatever cataclysm caused the end of the world. You're with your last people, at least the last people in your area. And um, you get to pretend that's everybody, that that's the whole world. And so, you know, you make friends really quick because <laughs> you'd have to. Anyway, we're going to talk about one such festival right now. This festival is called Detonation. It's part of the End of Days conglomerate of festivals. We're going to get into all of that. Reverend Lawless has been at this for quite a while, and I'm really excited to talk to him about it. So let's get into it. All right, guys. Uh, let's do a quick quick ad break, and then we'll bring in Reverend Lawless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To survive in these troubled times, you need three things. Water, food, and shelter. And if you don't have those things, you can get them real fast. Guns! Guns. No outfitter in the waste can match the selection, quality, or quantity of devastating weaponry available for sale or barter at the Dukes of the Nuke. We have high explosives, chemical weapons, 50 cals, and pea shooters, along with everything in between. So come see what we're packing at the Dukes of the Nuke on Main Street in Wasteland City. Oh. And due to high turnover, we're always hiring desperate wastelanders to do shit jobs and deliveries through hostile territories. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Reverend Lawless. How are you doing? 
I'm doing great. It's been it's been a hell of an apocalypse. I'm having a good time. How about you? Uh, one step at a time. Uh, taking the hurdles as they come and uh, making the most of any situation that's thrown at me. And that's all any of us can do. So you have been involved in the post-apocalypse festival scene for a while. Can you tell me like how you got involved? Uh, well, my intro to it was Wasteland Weekend 2011. Um, Which was also my first year. Awesome. Uh, it was that was a fantastic year and kind of what started everything that I've done since then is I had such an amazing time, met amazing people who were focused on the creativity uh, the, the details of any other costume hobby I've been involved in, you, you can spend hours designing a costume or a character and nobody pays attention to it at, at wasteland weekend, people stop you and ask where you got a piece of garbage that you're wearing or, <laughs> you're right. you know, it's it, people care. There was a genuine interest in creativity and promoting creativity and it just, it resonated with me. Uh, so after that event, I came back to Arizona and just started throwing, you know, some searches out there for some property. Cause I thought maybe I could do like a little small thing, uh, here in Arizona. And I ended up, uh, placing a bid on a 40 acre plot that there was no photos of it. Uh, the only description was uh, painted desert properties. And so I knew what the painted desert was and knew that was super beautiful. So I, uh, I placed a bid that was super low and was positive. I wasn't going to get it and nobody bid against me. So <laughs> I basically acquired the property for really cheap. Was it like a bank owned property? Like, Cause sometimes, you know, people could, even though, even if the bid was low, they could still say like, nah, I don't think I'm going to do it. Uh, no, it was a property management company that just you know, buys up plots and tries to flip them. And the guy was, he was heartbroken when, you know, when I won the bid because he, he, <laughs> he, he didn't lose money on his, on his, uh, on his sale, but he didn't make any money. Wow. But uh, yeah, so I, I bought the property sight unseen. A few months later, we, a group of us drove out to check it out for the first time and there's no road to the property. So we get as close as we can and it's all dirt or it's all just grass fields. There's nothing. I, I, I didn't lay eyes on the actual property yet. So I was kind of broken thinking that I just bought a big 40 acre grass field, uh-huh. which is, you know, I mean, we could have done an event on it, but the fact that what we ended up getting, uh, after we made it down to the property was above and beyond what I could have ever hoped for. So it was uh, one of many lucky occurrences that uh, kind of makes Uranium Springs a special place. Awesome. So so kind of describe the property for me, because I know you said you thought you were getting a grass field, but but give me a little bit of the layout. Why is it what makes it so dynamic? OK, so uh, for the listeners, if they want to do a, a quick search on the Painted Desert that that'll give you a bunch of imagery, but what it is, is it's, uh, a lot of, uh, rich colored clays and whatnot that have eroded away to expose purples and reds and really extreme colors in a Martian alien type landscape. So (laughs) it's, 
it's if you could just throw out a post-apocalyptic setting without any buildings or anything, it really fits that, that vibe. And so, yeah. And I know that it's also on the border of the petrified forest, right? Like the, that park is right next door. Yes. It's, uh, I think about technically about two miles from our, our site. Yeah. And so I went in 2014, um, and, um, I, I know that there's actually petrified pieces of wood everywhere. We have petrified wood, uh, quartz, uh, there's been, uh, people just roaming the area that have found, uh, uh, uh turquoise and, you know, other, oh. you know, semi-precious, you know, stones and stuff like that. So as far as like a rock collector perspective, it's a really neat place to just wander around. Yeah, absolutely. We also right, have, so- oh, real quick. Uh, we also yeah. have a ton of, uh, like fossils. Uh, not far from the awesome. property, there is a uh, an oyster bed because wow. that property used to be uh, millions of years ago a, a shallow sea. Uh-huh. So before it was before there, it was a, a rainforest, it was a shallow sea. So there's uh, the everything that's happened in that vicinity, including the the uh, ancient people that live there as well. Like there's been a lot a lot of activity for being out in the middle of nowhere. All right, so you acquire this piece of land. Uh... And you get more out of it than you're expecting. But what were your plans for it at the time? So initially, and this this kind of goes into uh, my previous hobby, is I did a medieval reenactment uh, group in the SCA. Mm-hmm. Um, and my members and, you know, the friends in that group are all getting older and setting up these, you know, elaborate camps was becoming more and more challenging. So my initial plan was I wanted to do this post-apocalyptic thing where we could build our own camp and leave it there. And then they wouldn't have to build camps every time we wanted to do an event was kind of the initial plan was it was kind of a retirement plan for (laughs) my other hobby, which it, you know, and when the first event we, we hosted, uh, we had about 35 people show up. And I didn't really expect a whole lot more from this venture than that. I was, you know, close friends getting together and partying, uh, wearing costumes. And it just every year seemed to grow to, by about 50 people. And, you know, so now we're, you know, right around the, the 500 person mark. And it's uh, it's the perfect size We're we're definitely not a uh, the the glamour of a wasteland weekend, uh, type event, but there's a, a community and hominess that, uh, is unique and kind of special about uranium Springs that, uh, I, I wouldn't trade for the world. So. Awesome. And kind of describe what it looks like today after how many, well, first off, how many years has this property now been being built up and, and what has it become? So let's see if I was at Wasteland Week in 2011, I bought the property a few months after that. So 2022 will be the 10 year anniversary of Uranium Springs. Yeah. Um, And what, you know, when it started, it was a, just a, a a vacant badlands looking area. Now there Mm -hmm. is, Tribes have built uh, multiple little camps. Um, it's it's a a town in its own right. Um, our nearest uh, civilized town that's not event themed is a <laughs> uh, 
this uh, little spooky town called uh, Sun Valley. And mm-hmm. Uranium Springs has got better medical services, better security, <laughs> uh, better infrastructure than the actual town that these, you know, Come that our, na- our neighbors are living in. So for, for the apocalypse, we're, we're living really well. How many people are in Sun Valley? Uh, I think it's something like 50 or 60. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you have 10 times the population. Too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you, do you need to borrow a fireman? We have a fireman. Yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, the, uh, their volunteer fire department, I think would, uh, would appreciate our assistance. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. So you've been doing festivals on this land and I know around that same time you formed an organization. Can you tell us a little bit about end of days? Yeah. So end of days entertainment, uh, which this will be a good time to bring it up. It's not a cult. <laughs> and I bring, I bring this up because recently I, I was chatting with some people and they're like, yeah, I was told not to get involved in this because it was a cult. And I'm like, wow. Uh, I, you know, why would anyone think that I'm kind of, you know, start wrapping my brain around the fact that end of days is, I mean, there's a very, that's very biblical and so yeah. I'm like, okay, I can kind of peg that. And then they're like, and it's run by Reverend Lawless. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, piss. Like, that was not not my intention. Um, and Reverend is not a religious title. It's Rev, like Rev in a motor, and Rending, like Rending Meat. It was it was a play on words. That's why it's spelled the way it is. I never picked up on that. But uh, it's uh, it was a an accident that it's kind of got a culty feel and I run the church of fuel. So, I mean, yeah. I, I, I stacked the, the cards against myself here. Yeah. There were a lot of, you, you had a lot of themes going on here. Definitely. But the end of days is a post-apocalyptic pre-enactment group, uh, that encourages, uh, not just events, uh, that the end of days hosts, but encourages new people to go to wasteland weekend to all of the, the festivals around the United States, kind of, you know, giving a, uh, a, a place that you can go to for information that's not, let's say, as salty as some of the other forums. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, a, a community that you can come in and ask the the most basic and uh, what you know, a lot of people would consider an embarrassing question. And there's going to be multiple people that jump in and help help you out because... It's, if any ev- event succeeds, then all events get better. So absolutely, it's, it's basically trying to just build community and you know give people a a place that they feel that they can kind of get their feet wet. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and I know through EOD and uh, for for you guys out there, you can look at this full list on theeod.org. Do I get that right? That's it. Okay, so I on the website I see that you have a whole like a whole lineup of different festivals throughout the year. Can you kind of give us the brief rundown? Yeah, so uh, let's start with detonation this year. Mm-hmm. Detonation this year is over. It, we're basically going to place it over our Festival of Ash, um, which is a Halloween event. So detonation this year is going to be a uh, a Halloweeny. Uh, more tongue in cheek than we would normally do at a detonation. Uh-huh. Uh, we're going to allow things that we would not normally allow at an event, like uh, pop culture, post-apocalyptic crossovers. So, if you know, if someone wants to do a post-apocalyptic Super Mario Brother, great. You know, it's <laughs> it, this is the one time that they can get away with that. Okay, and 
you know, we're going to encourage, you know, a, a flavor of post-apocalyptic trick-or-treating. Mm-hmm. Um, we're uh, encouraging people to uh, find uh, road cones and carve them like pumpkins and set those out around their camps. That's uh, a great idea. It's it, we're basically just going to theme it out so that it's a post-apocalyptic Halloween. So that's cool. that's detonation this year. Um, like the, I said, uh, the COVID special. Exactly. <laughs> uh, they, like I said, it's overlapping uh, an event that we normally do this time of year called Festival of Ash. So is that normally that like that Halloween costume party? Is that kind of how that uh, usually goes? It's, or it's it... a it, it overlaps, but we, we've never really kind of promoted that aspect of it okay. um, up until the last year or so. I, Got it. It gives the, an opportunity for people to take creativity to a different angle. But I think that's pretty neat because in in like games like Fallout, you often have characters wear like pop culture icon costumes but they're worn out and tattered right uh, and you can put them on and gain like you know the different charisma points or that kind of thing so that's kind of fun that you get to bring out that side of the post-apocalypse a little bit in this other I, festival and i think that i mean everybody really you know we we gravitate towards mad max we love mad max and the fallout's kind of like a, a thing on the outskirts and this gives the opportunity for the fallout fans to really embrace and do their fallout stuff that's great um but yeah, so then we also have uh, another event called Charyu Tree. Charyu Tree is based on the Stephen King novels, uh, The Dark Tower. Which is another post-apocalypse Correct. Uh, story. And it is, uh, basically it's a feast. Uh, it's a four day long feast where people show up and it's still, it's as apocalypse as you want to be with a little bit of a Western twist to it. Awesome. Um, and we, you know, we basically just kind of, you know, emulate the uh, the key points in the Dark Tower series, that, and uh, they had a thing called Stuffy Guys, where they would. <laughs> it was kind of a uh, each person had their own little Burning Man. So you, what we do is everyone builds a scarecrow that represents the hardships or whatever they had to suffer through that year, and they get to give a speech about you know what this this effigy means to them and then they throw it on the fire and you know we sit and watch it burn um and we've which had is, oh go ahead which, which also sounds uh just a little bit culty uh, yeah you see once again i <laughs> i can't help it <laughs> but uh i mean and we've had i mean it, it does it, it's really cool because a lot of times it's super tongue-in-cheek and people will you know yeah. will throw it on but we've had uh, people come out with really heartbreaking stories and it was one of the things that really made me fall in love with my community is someone burned an effigy and told this really awful story and everybody stayed dead silent for the entire time it burned. There was no cracking jokes. Like when you get a, you know, when you get 40 drunks, you know, sitting around a campfire, it's really hard to not get that one guy who's, you know, just, you know, going to you know try to break the silence uh-huh. and nobody did. Oh, and wow. it, it was, it was just, it was so respectful and heartwarming, you know, even though it was a terrible story. So I, I, I treasure that, that event. It's small and it's, uh, and it really is family based. Like it's, you know, it, people really are there to kind of support each other, which is really neat. That's great. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of what else we've got. Uh, we did, uh, operation blue dog. Mm-hmm at a property that uh, was created by a man named uh, 
Ed Kilako. And Ed, uh, I'm not going to go super into the story. People can look look him up. But uh, mm-hmm. he uh, he built a, a a little Wild West town in Arizona that is got a little bit of a a Uranium Springs vibe. Cool. Um, but he did it as uh, a minority in a culture that did not want him there. And so he really fought against, you know, really immeasurable odds to do a really neat thing. And he, he's passed away a couple of years ago, but uh, Sorry his, to hear his, that. his property's still there and it, they've got caretakers and they're building it up. And so it's definitely something for people to check out because he, he's got a really neat history. Awesome. Um, was that all the festivals we got? What detonation we got? Uh, Festival of Ash. We got Charu Tree and Blue Dog. That's all the ones I remember. Yes, those are the those are the current ones. We are working uh, because I moved Festival of Ash uh, to Uranium Springs. We're working on another Southern Arizona event, but uh-huh. I have not. I haven't picked a location or a date for that yet. So got it. So how many of those events take place at Uranium Springs? Right now, all of them. Awesome. I mean, that's great. Yeah. Festival Vash used to be in uh, Southern Arizona at a, uh, an old mining smelter, uh-huh. uh, but there was property disputes and we ended up having to relocate. So. Got it. Got it. Well, at least you had a, a perfect fallback. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. All right. So swinging back to detonation, because that is the one that I want to talk about the most today. Um, and, and detonation normally, not this year, but normally has a very wasteland weekend feel, right? It's, it's, Mad Max based. It's kind of that, um, that atomic war post-apocalypse. Um, and it's kind of like the, it, do you still do like the warring tribes thing? Yes. And we're, we're working more on, uh, interactivity at, at that nation as far as games. Um, like something that's big at wasteland weekend is the bounty hunting. Mm-hmm. Bounty hunting doesn't really fit our vibe, so we've got a uh, a game that's called uh, Big Iron, which uh, will be debuting the the rules for that uh, on the website and whatnot soon. But it's basically uh, an opportunity for people to uh, turn bottle caps into something that's actually not just a collector's item; it's something that you can use to actually play the game. Oh, cool. um, it's a, a heads or tails kind of thing where you would grab a handful of bottle caps, throw them on the ground and whoever has, you know, the most heads wins that gunfight. Um, oh, cool. Okay. So it's, it, it's got some, you know, some interactivity there. Uh, we also do the death rally, which is uh, little mini sand rails that, you know, I love that race around and, uh, uh, cause chaos. And that's, we've got a new track this year. Um, so the spectators will be a little bit closer. Cool. Uh, it'll be a little more, you know, you'll be able to see the entire race. It won't disappear behind dunes and whatnot. So yeah. that'd be pretty cool. I know that the death races have become a bit of a, like a, it's a now at multiple events. Yeah. I know that um, Atomic Falls has it. Uh, I think Aftermath has it. It's pretty cool. Is there any plans to do like, like a world circuit of death cart racing? I wouldn't mind getting together with some of these other events and, you know, kind of working up a, uh, a themed tied in, uh, you know, storyline, uh, bring out guests guest drivers and, uh, do the, uh, the celebrity circuit, things like that. <laughs> that would be so fun. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of neat how some of the festivals will overlap different things because everyone's kind of like, you know, borrowing each other's best ideas, which is awesome. Right. Um, and then each event, 
you know, has what makes it unique. Um, especially like the location is just a big part of that. Um, and so I know that with, with uranium springs, you wanted to differentiate from wasteland. Can you tell me, um, for people that don't know, uh, how many permanent structures are there at wasteland weekend? Uh, zero. Zero, which is kind of wild, right? Because, um, I mean, originally wasteland weekend was at H park, which was a California city public land. And so right off the bat, you can't have permanent structures there. Right. But even now that they have the private land um, that Wasteland Weekend owns called Wasteland Valley, they still aren't doing permanent structures, mostly because uh, it's a little bit more exposed, I guess. And uh, without having somebody that's, you know, able to work security, you know, year round, it's the the theft risk is it's brutal we're lucky in the fact that our location is super remote and to get in and out, it's not something that you're just going to casually, you know, make a run and go rob uranium Springs. Uh, right. Uh, we, we also have, uh, we mentioned Richard, Richard, uh, and this is kind of funny. Richard's got a donkey and <laughs> this donkey, when someone drives down the road to uranium Springs freaks out. Really? And so Richard will get in his truck and drive down and make sure that there's no one on the property. That's fantastic. So and yeah, I don't think we mentioned Richard while we we're recording, but yeah, Richard okay. is your neighbor there. Is that right? Yes. Richard is, uh, he's kind of the, let's call him the godfather of uranium springs. He, uh, <laughs> he's the one that put in the road to the property. Fantastic. Um, he's, he's always there to help people out. He's just, we, we weren't expecting to have good neighbors out there because it is out in the middle of nowhere. And when you move to the middle of nowhere, you tend to not want people around. Right. And he, it started off where he just tolerated us. And a couple of years later, he came <laughs> down for the actual event. And then a couple of years later, he dyed his hair and came in a full costume. Yes. So yes. He, he has, you know, kind of, you know, grown into us, which is, is awesome. That's so great. Yeah, I remember um, my year was 2014, and it's so unfortunate I haven't been back yet. It's ridiculous. But um, I remember setting up. He was like running a backhoe to build space for the stage or something like that, right? And he does that for individual. I mean, now that most of Uranium Springs proper is is kind of established now, uh-huh. so now it's helping tribes out. So he he's there with the tractor. So if people need a, a spot leveled for their camp, like he'll move dirt around for them and kind of, you know, help them get set up. Um, which once again, adds to the community feel of, you know, yeah. jumping in to help each other out so that, you know, at, at the height of detonation, when you're walking around, it really feels that you are not in a, a comfortable modern day setting. You are in a post-apocalyptic world. That's so great. Yeah. So I, I want to um, kind of explore this idea of the permanent structures a little bit more because uh, it is kind of unique. Is it like a ghost town? Um, like how, how is it adding to the atmosphere there? So in the off season, uh, it is very much like a ghost town. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm up, like I said, I'm up there uh, pretty much every weekend. Any any opportunity I have to be up there, I'm up there. And mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a, it's a different place. Um, I have, I have dreams when I'm old and retired of, uh, <laughs> of, you know, setting up a, a, a post-apocalyptic town tour thing cool. and, and, uh, just, you know, touring people through the, the ruins of a post-apocalyptic community. Brilliant. Um, so we'll see another 20 years 
see how that plays out. <laughs> and, um, and I guess, how do you keep people from going overboard? How, how do you make sure that it stays more of a film set and less of a landfill? Does that make sense? 100%. And it, that is a battle because, uh, people, you know, they'll, they'll come out and they'll just, they'll dump all their building supplies. And then, uh, if they don't have a plan, then it turns into junk piles. Um, we we have a an encouraging factor where if somebody's got a, a junk pile camp, we'll just kind of you know, hey, you know, do you have any plans? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you need some help? Uh, <laughs> you know, let's build a wall. Like, let's do something with your stuff. Cool. Um, so the. I think that we've kept the junk piles to a minimum. Um, I think this coming year will be the, for the lack of a better word, the tidiest that site has been in a oh, while. Nice. Um, because a lot of groups that have been, you know, you know, have let their piles get out of control, have started reining that in and uh-huh. making things look a little bit nicer. Yeah, good. Yeah, because just because it's the post-apocalypse and just because you're using garbage doesn't mean it has to be out of control i guess what i'm trying to say is like there's still that pride and ownership of like your little shanty you know exactly you're still a homeowner even though it's just um you know a bunch of junk it's it's the difference between uh i consider trash stuff that you want to throw away Mm -hmm. and garbage stuff that you can salvage (laughs) and so you don't want trash all over your camp but you know Mm -hmm. if you've got strategic piles of garbage then that might be all right Got it. Yeah. Like a, a, a pile of tires and some two by fours. That's obviously, you know, building material. Right. Meanwhile, your empty beer cans take that with you. Exactly. Got it. Yep. Unless you're going to make a beer can wall of some kind. But uh, well, we I do have know. we do have a, uh, a wine bottle wall that's uh, oh, cool. been, been in the construction <laughs> process for years. So <laughs> one bottle at a time. I'm exactly. sure. Exactly. <laughs> that's so great. Huh. Okay. So yeah, t- um, take me on a tour, like, like, um, take me on a mental visual tour walking up main street of uranium Springs. Okay. So let's see, as you come in through the, the front gate, uh, you roll up on uh, the processing center The processing center is, uh, three old, uh, cab over, uh, campers that we've situated so that our, uh, gate people have a place to mingle and stay out of the sun and uh, check people in. You roll past that. And the first camp you hit is the pirates of the arid sea. They're some of our most active off season builders and craft people. They're amazing. Roll in a little bit further. And on the left, you've got Richard's hovel, which he just built this past year. Mm-hmm. And on the right, You've got uh, Zephyr's Landfill or Hobo Freehold or something like that. (laughs) Uh, And (laughs) Zephyr has been a a huge contributor uh, to this project over the years. And he's got a big, uh, big campsite. And even though it's only him, he opens it up to other small groups so that they can camp in his little tire wall uh, fortification. So that's pretty cool for new people. He he likes kind of helping people out. Awesome. And listeners will recognize Zephyr as the yard hobo from, uh, I believe, Wastelander Stories 4 that came out a few weeks ago. Yes, yes. The same. 
So, uh, then, uh, let's see if we go directly into what we call, uh, our, the, the town, uh, that's where we, it's not, not camps. It's where we do our entertaining, where the merchants set up, things like that. You roll in and it's multiple vendor stalls. Uh, the one that people from several events will recognize is the rec room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is Mike and Barbara bring the rec room to life at every event that they possibly can. And for those uh, that don't know it, the rec room is, of course, spelled W-R-E-C-K. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they, they're amazing hosts and they, uh, they're kind of, you know, they keep our, our, our town activities kind of centralized there. Uh, going further into town, we've got the uh, Madcap Casino. Next to that is the Rusty Stinger, which is our donation-provided uh, bar. And then in front of that is our main stage. Let's see. Then uh, next to that is uh, Wasteland Communication Corps. Yeah, it's one of their outposts. Exactly. Rolling in down the road, we've got the Annex, which is a, a, a group of uh, people from Colorado that uh, have built an amazing camp over the last couple of years. And we've got in the center there, we've got where our first restrooms are uh, and Molly Shipwreck. And she's the one that kind of established our restroom structures. <laughs> um, she's, she's probably a popular one for that. Oh yeah. She's uh, she's an unsung hero. So uh, <laughs> then a or an new- undung hero. Gross, but yes. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> uh, appropriate. Then next to that is a a new addition that just came up this year, uh, which is probably it, it's my favorite spot on the entire site right now, and that's the Aftermath Theater. Um, cool. The Aftermath Theater is a drive-in, uh, not a drive-in for full-size cars, but if you've got death rally cars or little tiny motorcycles, <laughs> oh, that's great. You can actually pull in and park right in front of the screen. But uh, Halar Garcia is the one who put this together. And, uh, his, uh, he's got another business that he's done at Wasteland Weekend called Battle Bottles. What's Battle Bottles? It's, uh, it's bottles that he is like themed out like drinking vessels, Mm -hmm. but they're amazing. Like it's, (laughs) Oh, gotcha. I, I can't, I, I don't have one in arm's reach right now, but they, they're super cool. He is for some reason I pictured like two wine bottles battling like both people hold a wine battle and and swing them together and you see which one survives the impact that was probably the wrong way to take that (laughs) well that sounds like a uranium springs game (laughs) going down a little further you've got my camp which is turbulence we kind of have a strip mall approach where there's uh yeti's uh, carport or yeti's garage uh we have the uh uh uh, tits and ash brothel. You can you can't actually buy sex there, but you know it's it's as close to a real brothel as you can get without having to buy sex. Okay. Um, uh, we have uh, 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 the pharmacy, which pharmacy. is uh, it's pharmacy, but the pee fell off. Oh, okay. And we also have the uh, Wasteland Science Center, um, like a museum. Uh, the Wasteland Science Center is, uh, that's uh, one of my members, Milos, who he walks around in a little red bow tie and a lab coat. 
and <laughs> carries little plastic vials of, uh, of, uh, uh, vitamins is what he calls it. Oh and it's basically gosh. just different liquors. Okay. Uh, but, uh, he's got one that's become kind of famous. I think, I think he actually got uh, told at Wasteland Weekend that he was not allowed to do it anymore is his dra- <laughs> Dragon's Breath, uh, which is just a ridiculously hot shot that will drop most people to their knees. Oh, my. Uh, um, and so he's got an entire ceremony based around that. And he always says, first rule of doing Dragon's Breath is don't do Dragon's Breath. <laughs> so he, he warns everyone away from making the bad decision. That's just going to make people want it more, though. Exactly. I, well, I feel like there's this this thing in wasteland culture where if it's a little bit punishing, people are into it. One hundred percent. Right. Oh, I know. I'm forgetting something. We've got the uh, the no tell motel, <laughs> uh, and that's and these are so basically turbulence. And we've got we've got a sound cloud up with uh, uh, different little short radio commercials that we've done. Awesome. Um, you got to send me some of those so I can put them on the show. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely uh, throw that, that link your way so you can check awesome. it out. But uh, it's basically, we, it, we've taken it and we're kind of cheesy about it. Like th- that's our approach to the apocalypse is you I know, love it. cracking the jokes. Across the street from them is the Cult of Chasmida. Uh, the Cult of Chasmida. Chasm- yeah. And they, they adopted the re- rebuilding of the restrooms. So they're going around oh, and, and refurbishing all of our restrooms, building new restrooms. Uh, they built our ADA compliant uh, restroom so mm-hmm. that if people have, you know, disabilities, they've got a restroom that they can get into oh, that's without, great. without any you know, issues. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've, they're lifesavers. Um, nice. Well, it sounds like, you know, there's, there's a benefit to being able to leave stuff there in that you can always be improving rather than having to start from nothing at every time. It's, so it's nice. The same amount of work, it adds up rather than getting you to where you were before. And it's the other thing that it, another thing that builds community is that you always know where turbulence is. You yeah. always know where the rec room is. You always know where the restrooms are. It's going to be the same every year. It's going to get bigger and there'll be more stuff around it. But mm-hmm. there's once you've, staked your claim and you know you don't have to worry about vying for land or you know do i get the best placement right you've got what you you know you you've got your plot and you make it as amazing as you want and because it's small it's you're not walking really far to get to anything so and and so it sounds like you've got kind of like a main street usa or like an old western town kind of getting built where you have all your entertainment venues and your bars and your hotels like all right there and then i imagine it's you know all the people that are doing just regular camping, they kind of spread out from there. Correct. And so we've got, uh, we, we encourage everyone to, of course, you know, theme their camp to some degree. Um, uh, but it's, it's not mandatory. Uh, if we've got an area where you can camp that if you just don't want to mess with theming your stuff out at all, that you can camp there. Um, but even if you're just throwing dirty old blankets over nylon tents, yeah, uh, that's that's fine. That's you know, it, 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 and we let these little camps, you know, set up between the bigger camps so that it just fills out that entire area. That's great. So um, I imagine that uh, land comes at a premium since uh, you know once you build, you kind of it's yours. Um, what's the process for being able to like stake out land? Is there is there like a um, 
Do you get points for adding for providing services or for for working? Um, you know, how, what what's the process for someone to go and stake their claim? So, really, it's we have a a, a fee per year, which basically mm-hmm. just it's a I, I think that our current fee is three hundred and fifty dollars a year. That three hundred and fifty is for a fifty foot by fifty foot, foot uh, plot of land. So mm-hmm. it's it's a tribe sized plot of land, um, small tribe, and right. uh, if they come out and they're you know they're contributing to the event and doing more than just you know enjoying the event, and they need more land, we expand their land without adding any additional costs uh, because they're you know, oh gotcha it's. Uh, that that's more valuable to the community than yeah pulling money out of their pocket because it it costs to come to these events as everybody who's aware of these events can <laughs> right. attest to. Um, so we're you know we're we do we do a lot of things to make it as easy as possible for people to participate in the biggest way they possibly can. We don't uh, our like our vendors, we don't charge vendor fees. We don't, you know, we, if someone wants to come out and vend, we'll give them a free ticket and a spot to set up their, their vendor stuff because that builds the community that makes things more fun for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It gives people stuff to do. Plus, you know, they can add to their costume while they're there. Exactly. That's great. Nice. Okay. So one of my thoughts is if someone builds a camp one year, and then they can't go the next year, or if they only go to detonation and not the other events, their camp's still there. So what happens with that empty space or what happens to that empty camp is what I should say. Okay. So, uh, and that, that, that happens all the time. Everyone's very courteous about not going into other people's spots. If, you know, if they're not there, mm-hmm. um, let's say that life happens and you can't make it out to, to, uh, one of our events for a year that you know there there's no you know there there's no penalty if you don't show up for multiple years then we'll you know we'll reach out we'll you know try to you know find out what the situation is and if there's no resolution then we open the property up for uh the residents to go and loot <laughs> really is the, <laughs> the best way to put it yeah um, and I imagine you know, yeah it, you, like, and it's it, we only do that with abandoned properties we don't okay. do that we don't I mean it's not you know like if somebody's like you know I really you know I, I still want to come but I just don't have the money we work with you know with you know cool. those situations cool. it's just when someone says you know I just I can't come back I, you know I don't care what you do with it then we let everyone you know kind of go and use their stuff to build up the camps bigger Mm-hmm. Uh, around them so cool all right so i know that um your festivals just like wasteland and most other post-apocalypse festivals of modern times um they are costumes mandatory uh they are immersive themes so yeah you get a lot of like in theme camps going on um what's the atmosphere like at detonation like during the day and then at night Inadvertently, there's a Western feel to Uranium Springs. It's not it's not something that we've kind of that we've built towards, but just I think once again because it's very much community based and that that old West town feel just kind of reverberates. Um, the I'm trying to think of you know how to describe the flavor of Uranium Springs. Yeah. Uh, 
I'll actually go back a few years. We had a, a special guest that came out, uh, Vernon Wells. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, was, amazing. Who was Wes in uh, Road Warrior. Yeah, and fantastic. We brought him out and he read the first chapter of the Road Warrior novelization. Uh-huh. And then basically, like, we invited him out not to sit behind a table and sign autographs. We invited him out to be part of the event. So he just came out and hung out with people, answered questions, and just, you know, enjoyed the event. Uh, but in one of his speeches, he looked at the entire audience that was gathered around him and he said, all of you will die in the apocalypse because you're too damn nice. (laughs) (laughs) So we're, uh, we're the friendly apocalypse, um, which has spurred a new project. Uh, this past year I acquired another 40 acre plot next to uranium Springs because your first 40 acres wasn't enough. That's not enough. And so <laughs> this is going to be uh, another town uh, called Ashtown. And uh-huh. Ashtown is going to be, it's going to be more like Wasteland Weekend in the fact that it's, there's no permanent camps. It's, you know, bring your stuff up, set it up, then tear it down and leave. But that's going to be the Raiders. So all of the fire performing, jugger, all of oh, cool. those kind of things will kind of revolve around Ashtown. And if you think back to Road Warrior, the uh, the scene where they, they're looking out at uh, Lord Humongous's uh, uh, camp and they're lighting people on fire and fire spinning uh-huh. and whatnot, you're going to get that view from Uranium Springs when you look out at Ashtown. Oh, cool. So it, it gives uh, a little adversarial... Uh, feel to the event that I think will be a lot of fun. Yeah, that should be really cool. And I guess that would open things up for people to, um, I don't want to say LARP, but to kind of like play their tribes against other tribes or or have like different theatrics pop up. Yeah. And we're, we're working on, we'll, we'll use the term LARP again. Uh, (laughs) there are some people who really love that aspect of these hobbies. Yeah. And there are some people who just detest it. So we're working on adding it in so that people can enjoy it. And if you're not into it, it doesn't affect your fun. And we're doing that with, we're, we're working on a, a phone app that will be kind of like a knockoff of a pit boy that you can do tours around the property and scan QR code type things that will give you information and backstory about, you know, different events that are happening around oh, the event. Yeah. So we want to, probably starting at detonation seven, wanting to have a narration going that if you're into that aspect, it's going to be a fun story to follow. If you don't uh-huh. care about that aspect, then it doesn't affect your event at all. I think that's brilliant. And you know what? That that reminds me one of the one of the best things about Fallout is you can find all these all the backstory on these different places, different tribes, different characters, and it sometimes is part of the game and sometimes it's just there for pure entertainment. Yeah. And I think that would be actually a brilliant idea cuz like, you know, the Dukes of the Nuke, um we can tell our story but but it it, it takes a while and um you know, we 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 have a huge backstory. I don't know most of it. Uh, my other trimates do, but it would be amazing if we just had like, you know, like a little QR code and then people could get like the Deuce and the Nuke were formed to do this. And, and each of the characters, they could go as deep as they want to go without necessarily needing to have, you know, a two hour conversation. 
Exactly. <laughs> That's pretty clever. And it's we're working on other things. Uh, we want to have I don't if you've ever been to like a a Wild West reenactment town type thing. Uh-huh. We're uh, once again this will probably be a Detonation Seven uh, thing. But if you're in an environment and you see a security person walk in with a, a carrying an orange flag, you know mm-hmm. something is going to happen in the area. Oh, uh, cool. And we'll have actors that will come in and it could be something as simple as somebody passing somebody a note and then, uh-huh. then it goes away. Uh, it could be something eventually we'll, you know, have, you know, gunfight type situations. And that's what mm-hmm. the flags are for is so that people know, okay, there's a thing happening here. So right. if people actually, you know, are, you know, fighting, it's not actually a fight. And it kind of yeah. gives, you know, gives the spectators the chance to, if you're, nervous around those situations gives it a chance for them to, you know, remove themselves before any yeah. action happens. Uh, and if you're into the story, then it, you're, you know, you kind of get excited because, Oh, there's a flag, something good's going to happen. Yeah. So, and that's pretty clever. And that's something that um, a, a smaller event than what, you know, wasteland weekends, 5,000 people, you say right. you're about 500 at detonation. Right. Um, that's something that you can do in these smaller events and have everyone have that chance to witness it, to participate, um, to be part of it just because you know camp's smaller there's less people and and the crowd kind of moves together so you can have more of that like group participation than the individual kind of all over the place participation right and cool. it's it's it once again it's part of, it it adds to the charm of the event yeah all right so i know also as a smaller event you don't have to you're not quite as i guess uh, regulated, corporatized, whatever the word is, um, then a big event like Wasteland, you get to do some things that Wasteland could never do. Tell me a few of the things that uh, happen at Uranium Springs that would never be found at other events. And um, feel free to leave out anything that would get us all in trouble. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. That, all of it. <laughs> and that was it. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, we have... Uh, you may have to uh, check with Adam to make sure this is okay. But we, Adam from uh, Wasteland Weekend uh, comes out with uh, his uh, flamethrowers. Oh yeah, those are fine. We've talked about those before. Awesome. So he yeah. uh, he comes out and allows people to you know you know step up and shoot flamethrowers, uh-huh. uh, and we have a mountain that he basically lights on fire, which is amazing. Oh, wow. Uh, when you're, when you're sitting in town watching a band and a, you know, giant burst of flame lights up a mountain on the other side of sight, it's, (laughs) it's kind of spectacular. Yeah. Um, over there is gas town. We have a, a a live fire shooting range that we have. So real guns, real guns, uh, that, uh, is managed by a really amazing team of guys that, uh, are very safety conscious. Uh, if you're someone that's never shot a gun, they can help you, you know, they teach you, you know, the basics of you know, firearm safety and whatnot, and, you know, give you a, a chance to, you know, try your hand at shooting. Um, and we do that one, one day of the event, uh, just because we have hikers and whatnot going around and we don't want to, you know, bog it down with, you know, you know, trying to keep security, to you know, keep people out of the the danger zone. Got so we it. have okay. one day that we just tell people don't go hiking. This is you know this is the the hot zone. Got it. That's great. Um, 
trying to think of some of the things that uh, we do that's special. I mean, our death rally, you know, that's, uh, there are other events that, that have uh, started doing that as well, but that was, that's something that like at wasteland weekend is just, it's, it's too much to, you right. Know, uh, we, we have had serious injuries in our death rally races in the past. So mm-hmm. it is not a, it's not soft rally. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, it, it's got some edge to it. Um, I mean, I think I, we, we do a lot with, uh, with fire. Uh, I mean, it's called detonation for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, we weren't, uh, we weren't detonating enough, uh, according to the Marauders. <laughs> and so, uh, Greg from the Marauders actually developed a mortar that, uh, at the, uh, intro ceremony of the event now. Uh, I give my speech and he lights off basically a giant mushroom cloud. Uh, what? Uh, at the event now. So that's what, how, how, uh, it's a gasoline powered, uh, mortar. Basically. Oh my. So wait, is he launching like, like this mortar bomb through the air? No, it's, uh, Oh, and I, I gotcha. Ha- it's, it's like the, the, the explosion cannons like they use on a film set. Kind of, sort of, yeah. It's a, it. it's a giant steel tube yeah. that, uh, you know, he puts far enough away that it can't actually ignite any of the event uh-huh. on fire. Got and it. And then, you know, lights that up, and it's, it's a spectacle. It's, That's pretty cool. It, it's pretty wicked. That is one hell of an intro ceremony. Yeah. Wow. And it's like, uh, we're still working on timing. I, I, we, <laughs> you know, I'll give a speech and I'll, uh, you know, I'll give the signal and then there's the delay. So eventually yeah. it'll be the, it'll be a perfect uh, delivery. Nice. So we'll keep working on it. <laughs> that sounds so fun. And, uh, and I, I guess this is another one of those things where having an event in a location that's so far away from, uh, populated areas comes in to, benefit um and i know that at at uranium springs uh even more so than wasteland weekend you have a 360 degree view of just straight up desert right yes and and it's with where the location is it's it's beautiful scenery Mm -hmm. so even you 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 step outside of the town on any side and you're looking at uh just amazing primitive rock structures and it's I'm not a not a spiritual person but there's something magical about that place there is it's true and and of course the Arizona sky is something special on its own too it's, there's almost always an amazing sunset yeah it's very rare that the uh that the day goes by without something uh awe-inspiring happening right yeah, so you can get away with big explosions. You have that the security of being away from people. So you're not the chances of a visitor coming by that's not supposed to be there is so low. Um, and 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 w- when that happens, we you know we educate them on what we're doing and you mm-hmm. know give them a flyer and tell them to come back next year with a costume. <laughs> Has that happened? Have have, have you had uh, someone come that just passed by like that? Uh, we've had uh, quote unquote neighbors, people from you know the other uh, places near us uh, come out. Occasionally we've only had one 
negative incident where someone snuck onto site and there was uh, some drama. And that was, I think that's the only time we've actually called out law enforcement. Oh, wow. Um, we detained the gentleman and uh, law enforcement came out and uh, removed And were they him. able to find you? Uh, <laughs> Did not, you have to have someone like lead them in? Not easily. The uh, By the way, you're going to need a four by four. <laughs> exactly. The uh, <laughs> And the, sh- the sheriff, uh, they, they send down deputies every year to just kind of, you know, scope us out and whatnot. Yeah, cool. We give, we give them tours of the property uh, just so that they don't think that we're, you know, a militia or, you know, Oh yeah. Because out there that kind of stuff can happen. So, you know, we, we, we are as transparent as possible with the, the local law enforcement just so that they don't harass us. Yeah. And they basically, as long as we're not cooking drugs, they don't, (laughs) they don't, they don't give us grief. So, uh, it's it, it they know we're just out there having fun it's just a, a bunch of uh goofy kids playing mad max in the desert yeah yeah no officer we're we're, we're not junkies we're just a bunch of nerds <laughs> <laughs> who they, look like junkies <laughs> yeah we the year that we did have that guy come out uh the next day the sheriff came out and i toured him around and uh he uh, kind of slyly asks, like, so, like, would it be cool if I came back? I'm like, oh, uh-huh. yeah. He's like, can I dress as an MFP officer? I'm like, yes. you are definitely welcome to come yes. back. Yes. Oh, that's so fun. So, yeah, nice. we've, we've got a good relationship there. Cool. All right. And you you mentioned that um, the property has, like, some spiritual, um, uh, it has a spiritual nature to it. Um, and I know that it's obviously very special to you. You know, I see you post about um, going up there to camp by yourself, you know, just to like kind of reset or or just get away from it all. Um, I know that, you know, when you've gone through some hard times before, your your first thing is almost always I'm going up to Uranium Springs for this weekend. Can you tell me, like, what does this place mean to you on that deeper level? That is... Good question. Um, <laughs> That's why I saved it for life. It's, I, I'm not necessarily sure I can put it into words. There is, when I show up on site, there's a, it's a, a piece. It's, uh, there, it's a comfort zone. I, I think some people feel that way when they go to the ocean. Yeah. Or some people feel that way when they go to Disneyland. It's just the, the place that when they, <laughs> when they're there, they feel warm, they feel, you know, embraced by something, uh, you know, good feelings, good memories. Uh, and maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm, you know, tapping into, you know, the great times that I've had out there. Uh, but recently with my mom passing, that place was more comforting than I, than, you know, friends hugging me and stuff like that. I, I, it was an escape and I, I, you know, I find the place to be special inside, but I also, I've talked to many people that they all kind of have this, they can't explain it either. It just is, it's a fun, comforting place to be. Yeah. And for being out in the middle of nowhere with terrible winds and heat and no water. <laughs> There's nothing inviting about the property at all. But 
you feel good when you're there. That's great. And I know you made a really good friend there. You're, uh, you're more avian. Yeah, yes. I, uh, I, my, uh, my bird boy, uh, 19, um, I raised him from, uh, just barely feathered to, uh, about six months. And, and he was a, a raven or, or a, a crow? A raven. A raven. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, you either loved 19 or you hated 19 because he's, <laughs> he's a uh, Ravens are not particularly uh, sociable. I mean, they are, but they also, if they think your earring looks nice, they'll want to take that right off your ear uh-huh. and maybe your ear too. Uh, <laughs> so it broke my heart when 19 went off to live his bird life, but it's better for the event that he's not there because he was, uh, he was kind of a nuisance. Is that uh, right? He, I, it was great for people to get pictures with him and whatnot. But mm-hmm. in the morning when you, uh, when you want to just sit down and have a coffee and he comes and demands your breakfast or whatnot, <laughs> he was a bit much. So oh, wow. he, I think maybe he adopted some of my, uh, annoying personality habits. So got it. Got it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah that sounds fun I, I wish i could have met him he sounded like a treat yeah hopefully hopefully he'll swing back by someday yeah um and so um now uh over the years you've of course stayed a regular attendee of wasteland mm-hmm. um and i know you guys bring a whole bunch of uranium springs to wasteland with you now which is so cool i think it's a it's a great way to kind of attach the 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 festivals and that happens with a lot of the festivals they'll kind of bring you know here's our bar that we bring to our festival and now boom there it is right um do you prefer to host or hang uh, at wasteland weekend that's my chance to just cut loose yeah um i the rec room that shows up to wasteland weekend that's mike and barbara and they, they're the organizers of that. Um, and I'm definitely just, uh, I'm baggage for for that project. (laughs) Um, but, uh, and Mike and Barbara, um, I think they'll probably be on a future episode, but that's, um, help me out with their wasteland names, uh, antivirus and Mick awful. That's right. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, uh, they, they tolerate me. I'm, uh, when I'm when I'm cutting loose, I'm a, I'm a lot to deal with. So uh, <laughs> the the wonders of non responsibility. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, but no, I we tr- that's another thing. A couple of years ago, I saw on a, a forum somebody you know saying, "Oh, the EOD is not Wasteland Weekend," and I kind of took exception to it in the way they said it because m- most EOD members that go to Wasteland Weekend volunteer. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're, we bring not just, you know, the rec room aspect, but we bring the, the labor to help out Wasteland Weekend to make it function because we care about the, the atmosphere, the, the, I mean, apocalypse for everybody. It's, yeah. it's not a, an us versus them. It's let's go out and make this event amazing so that there's more people that love it. And then more people will come visit us. Uh, so we, you know, EOD as, as our community adore Wasteland Weekend. It's, you know, it's definitely, it's where we came from and, you know, we will, we'll always treat it as, you know, the, with the respect that, uh, 
your, uh, your inspiration deserves. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I know that your, um, long-term plan for Yam Springs is to be your, <laughs> your like retirement plan and, and show people around. Um, what, what do you think? What, like as the festival, what, what's your future p- plans for like detonation and all the festivals that take place at Uranium Springs? Do you want to see them keep growing? Do you want to keep them the same size? What do you think? I, I have a ceiling that I'm looking for. Um, when detonation gets to be, I, I'm forecasting 800 people, then we're going to start locking down tickets. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll, we'll add other events so that other people can come out. And so if we have 5,000 people that want to attend an event at Uranium Springs, we can accommodate them. We're just going to accommodate them in multiple smaller events. Got it. Um, I think that it gives gives people an opportunity to know your neighbors and to, you know, really feel like you're part of something, not just a spectator in a madhouse. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That sounds great. I mean, obviously it's a lot of work um, and to do four different festivals. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, it's basically all you're thinking about. Uh, <laughs> in your yeah, free it, time. It's, it's absorbed my life now. I bet. Yeah. But it sounds like you've got a really good team on your side. 100%. My, my volunteers, uh, my management team, they, they have picked up any slack that I possibly give and do a hundred times better than I could do if I was doing it myself. Awesome. And yeah, for, for this kind of thing, like the tribes bring so much, all you need to do is worry about, um, making sure that the, the space is available, that there's, um, bathrooms. That's, kind of it everything else is just butter because they're they're gonna bring it right yeah yeah and i it's one of the things that's amazing about every post-apocalyptic event that i've seen is the event organizers will provide a a finite amount of entertainment Uh and it's the tribes that actually make everything amazing yeah um i mean if if people relied on just the organizers to provide an event I think the Wasteland Weekend, Uranium Springs, all of these, you know, detonation would would kind of dwindle away because you can, the, the magic that makes these events is the people. Awesome. And if someone has not been to one of your festivals yet, tell us why should they? If you want a fully immersive event that you can touch on the less scary aspects of the apocalypse and make contact with people who share your same passion and interest for living a rugged life and doing crazy things that when you go to work the the following week and you tell stories, no one will believe you. I think that's what makes attending detonation or uranium Springs, uh, something magical is because no matter how intro level you go, when you, when you leave, you've got a story that most people aren't going to believe. It's so true. I know every time I come home from a festival, it's like, you, you just want to tell the world, like, this is what I just did for this, this last week. And it's insane. And I can't even tell you everything. Cause I already can't remember everything. Just so much happened. I barely slept. I, I had cocktails that don't, that should never be consumed 
<laughs> story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And um, fill us in on the best way to keep up. What's all the Facebook pages? Do you have Instagram, all that good stuff? Yes. Uh, so our Facebook page is uh, facebook.com slash group slash the EOD, I believe. Uh, we have our detonation website, which is www.detonation.us. Um, oh, that's then, right. I always put in org, but it's .us, right? Yes. I, yeah. I, I did that because, you know, US, Uranium Springs. I thought it was cute. Yeah. Um, so uh, then we have uh, our uh, organi- organization's website, which is uh, www.theeod.org. Got it. And uh, we are working on a uraniumsprings.com site, which will be the tourist site, which will basically just be photos, pictures of the environment, uh, some of the uh, mythological creatures that roam the area. Oh, cool. Uh, it'll be kind of like a museum site that. Oh, uh, so kind of like it's part of the show. Exactly. Got it. Uh, and gives people some background story and some, you know, some fun context for things that we're doing. Nice. Oh, and of course, is there a story behind Uranium Springs? So there is, and I, I won't go too deep into it, but it was. Uh, it was named for a, a radioactive pool that the people that uh, consume the, the, the water uh, heal faster. They just, it's kind of like a, like a, like a hot spring uh-huh. uh, approach only with a little radioactive aspect to it. Yeah. So, it's a little spicy. Exactly. It's <laughs> gives you, gives you that, uh, that warm glow. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for hanging out, Reverend. I really appreciate it. And um, it's it's been really fun to hear more about Uranium Springs, and I cannot wait to go back. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Absolutely. Oh, man, it's just been too long. <laughs> well, thanks again. <laughs> oh, so such a pleasure. And I've got to have you on for, um, for Wastelander Stories, too, because I'm sure you've got some good ones. Oh, I would love to. That'd be awesome. Cool. All right, uh, Survivors, this has been another episode of the Apocalypse Postcast podcast um if you enjoyed today's episode please send it to your friends share it widely uh if you hated it send it to your enemies in a tin can march dinky die slowly bitches and i'll see you all next time stay alive hey survivors makeshift here to remind you that the apocalypse post is brought to you in no small way by our patreon supporters Join the ranks for early access and exclusive content with support levels now named for fancy Fallout-ridden factions like the $2 per creation Drifter or the $7 Wastelander. Knowing you've got my back has helped me dedicate more time to this channel, spreading love of the post-apocalypse, and less time on stupid real-world stuff. Sign up right now at patreon.com backslash theapocalypsepost.